You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. This would be, right, our last message in the Fire and Wind series if it wasn't for my superpower of being able to extend summer. Um, so we'll have four more weeks. We'll take a pause next week for our kind of our annual student blessing service. Each year, right, right after school starts, we'll take a whole service to, to pray over and bless our grade school kids, our middle and high school kids as they head back to school in a variety of settings, right? From private school to public school to homeschool, we'll pray over them, pray over the educators, parents, and teachers, administrators. Pastor Ryan will be preaching for us um, next Sunday. So the Sunday after that, I'll get into the gifts as listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today, I'm going to wrap up the gifts as listed in Romans 12. Last week, we covered the gifts of prophecy. We covered the gift of teaching. We covered the gift of mercy. Here are just some catch-up points from last week's message. One, as the body of Christ, we are to be mutually dependent on one another. We are to be mutually dependent on one another. I used a quote from Pastor John Piper. That a spiritual gift is an expression of faith, that which aims to strengthen faith. A spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. Spiritual gifts are a way to disperse God's grace to others. This is where I get my phrase, borrowing and lending faith. Then a key differentiator between a spiritual gift and a talent is a talent turns a spotlight on me. A spiritual gift imparts strength to you. Around the gift of prophecy, I said that God uses his prophetic gift to speak confirming direction, caution, correction, and to identify opportunities overlooked or not considered. In this regard, I think prophecy can be considered God's turn-by-turn instructions. Prophecy in the body of Christ is for the mutual edification and redemptive effectiveness of the church. Prophecy is the only gift listed in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and and Romans 12. So although we might have a stiff-arm approach to this prophetic gift in the church, Paul did not. So it is something we should wrestle with. The spiritual gift of service, the Greek word there, diakonia, means to minister or to serve. And that frame is in the context of love, not duty. How many we have? How many in the room you serve out of duty in any capacity? You're a duty. Per, you're a duty person. You serve by duty. Just, just, just a handful of you. I command you to raise your hand if you uh, do this out of duty. That's right. But, but this gift, yeah, this gift. Um, it's not that we don't serve, and it's not that we don't serve out of our gifts. But this gift, the service, it comes out of a place of love. It's a desire. It's like you can't keep this person from serving. Um, And we did the spiritual gift of teaching. Spiritual gift of teaching isn't just a knowledge dump. It's a gift to instruct or to mentor from Scripture for Christian living, discerning truth from lies. So those were the three spiritual gifts we covered. And then I gave this overview, these guiding principles and operating in the spiritual gifts. One, spiritual gifts aren't owned, they're stewarded. The second is my identity is in Christ, not my gift. So I've run into a lot of people through the years, they wear their gift like a high school varsity jacket, right? But it is something we steward. It's not something we own. It's not my identity. My identity is Christ. My gift is what I operate in. Our gifts mature as we spiritually mature. 
so that I'm a different person now than I was when I started my first sermon, October 17th, 1981. Uh, I've gotten considerably longer since, uh, since that day, 40 some years ago. And then as a body, we coordinate with one another, we cooperate with one another, we compensate for one another, we don't compete with one another, and we don't compare ourselves to one another. It's interesting, Paul talks as much about how the body should operate together as he does about, actually more so than when he starts outlining what the gifts are. So it's that very important. So here was our text last week and then leaning into it for this week, Romans 12, 6 through 8, reading from the Amplified Version. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to, to us, each of us is to use them accordingly. If someone has the gift of prophecy, let him speak a new message from God to his people in proportion to the faith possessed. If service in the act of serving, he who teaches in the act of teaching. Now we get into this week. Or he who encourages in the act of encouragement, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy in caring for others with cheerfulness. So we begin with the gift of encouragement, and this gift, the word Paul uses, is paraclesius. And the reason why I bring up that word to show you is because when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, he calls him the paraclete. Okay, so you can see the, the, the connection here between the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit gifting does, and this with this particular gift as it relates to encouragement. Um, the spiritual gift of encouragement mirrors the activity of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. It doesn't mean you're the Holy Spirit in their life. I've had those people, right? want to tell me what to do, when to do, and how to do it. But the, the role of the Holy Spirit comes, is that someone who comes alongside of, who advocates for, and comforter, all right? We all have the choice uh, of how to interact with other people. Um, a, a person with a spiritual gift of encouragement isn't just someone who sees the glass half full or is, uh, always sees the silver lining. I like those people. I'd like to have more of those people around me, but that's not what this particular gift is. This gift is someone who builds courage into, builds courage into. Um, I finished the book of Job uh, two days ago in my reading through the Old Testament, and if you're familiar with the book of Job, I would say none of his friends had the gift of encouragement, <laughs> right? They were all present, which is you want on a friend, but encouragement wasn't one of those spiritual gifts. Um, so again, not everybody has this gift, um, but I would prefer not to be around people who have the gift of being a wet blanket. Those are also, that gifting also seems to be present with some folks, um, but we have the ability to encourage even if we don't have this particular gift. Those with this, this gift sense the Holy Spirit prompting words and actions that build courage into others. It also carries a sense of comfort. Um, comfort, I think, is best uh, exemplified by presence, right? You, you can't comfort someone if you're not there. Presence. Um, I think it's probably the highest compliment to pay anybody. Thanks for being there. So it's not always that this gift of encouragement isn't always exhibited in words. Sometimes it's just exhibited in presence. Um, and the, the last connotation is exhorter. An exhorter, an exhortation is a request 
or appeal empathetically urging someone to do something. So this, this might look more like the halftime speech at a game or maybe a commanding general before a battle. This is an exhortation. This one, it's a little bit more forceful. It speaks into it a little bit more firmly, right? So how do you know when to speak and when to just be present? Well, those with the gift, spiritual gift of encouragement, they know. They follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. When it's sometimes it's saying, you need to rub some dirt on that thing and get back into the fight. That's still a gift of encouragement. And sometimes it's someone just sitting in the dirt with you. That's encouragement. And someone who will build courage into you when you face the times and the voices in your head that, says you, that say you can't, right? I can't do this or I can't make this. Someone with the gift, spiritual gift of encouragement comes and, he built, and they build that courage into you. How about the gift of giving? The gift of giving, do it generously. Do it generously, Paul says. This may be the simplest, simplest gift to understand. Uh, the books I gave away last week, The Power of the Seven, that uh, my friend, Pastor Darren Tyler wrote, he calls this the gift of imparter. Um, he uses it in relation to like imparting yourself. Um, and, but I think in this case, the Greek is more specifically directed towards imparting one's possessions. Being in the ministry as long as I have, I've been, I've been around people that have the spiritual gift of giving. And it's actually the most, it, it's the most difficult to receive. It's the most difficult, it's, it, it humbles me the most. Because what you have here is you have someone hearing from the Lord with this gift and they respond out of the unction of the Holy Spirit in connection with the trust and, and what they're investing in. And so that's always why it's so humbling to me. Um, growing up as a kid, I was the kid who asked to put away my best toys when company came over to play. I didn't want them to break them. I didn't have to learn how to say mine as an only child, but somehow I managed to learn it anyway. There's a difference in being generous and having the gift of generosity or the gift of giving. Many people would describe themselves as generous. I think as a Christian, we should be the most generous people ever. Why? Because each of us have received the priceless gift of salvation Accepting salvation isn't just the receipt of a gift, but it is the relinquishing of our total control of ourselves to the giver. We've received the gift, and we completely turn ourselves over to the giver. In doing so, we recognize that all that we have comes from, from, comes from his hand. David was the one who uttered this after everyone had given to the development and the building of the temple. And he was amazed at all the generosity in Israel and he says, who are we, God, that we could give this to you? Everything we have has come from your hand. And we have this acknowledgement that we are to be stewards, not owners. And this should make us the generous. And its stats show it, that, that people who have a relationship with God are the most generous people. They always give more, serve more, serve longer. It's always the case. How does general giving play out in the local church. You probably have been around church long enough to hear the word tithing. Tithing is a percentage given. It's been taught before the law was ever given, as Abraham, Abraham teaches it, and it exceeds past the Old Testament. Um, 
And we should understand that even in that context, in this context, tithing are the funds in which that makes an operation work. We all live in homes. We know homes need money to operate. You live in businesses. You work in businesses. All those businesses have operational costs. This is not something that's difficult to understand. And the tithing of the body is what allows the body to function. It allows the body to operate. The lights come on. The place is clean. Ministry is done. All that happens because men and women, families just like you, buy into the biblical concept of tithing. Now, is tithing generosity? Well, on this side of the equation, like the person that writes a check, which Gene and I do, um, actually, we don't write checks anymore. Um, we, have, we have grown up into the technology age. Um, we, we do the giving online, and, the, and I actually, it's the, one of the few things that I do auto-draft, and it comes, it's, it's the day my paycheck hits my bank. Because I believe wholeheartedly in the concept of first fruits. That this is God's, I give him first, this is what I'm giving to him. But if you asked me if that's generous, I would say no. Now as an American and as a Westerner, I would say, you bet your life that's generous, right? This is my stuff, I can do what I want with my stuff. But as a believer, I understand it as faithfulness. I would not consider it, I'm talking to me, you have to talk to yourself, I'm talking to me, that it's not generous, that's faithfulness. And then there's giving above that. Now we start getting into generosity. This is like when um, Jameson Creel came up here needing funds to go to establish a ministry in Athens, right? And I said that we needed $25,000 and I asked you to consider giving to that and the body gave $62,000. And it took, at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, it took much of that, not the 25. Okay, now we're, now we're starting getting into generosity. A spirit of generosity is when we see a need or an opportunity and we step into that and we fill it. Um, but there's still a different, there's still another little extra twist to a spiritual gift of generosity. So generous people give to needs and opportunities, but people with the gift of generosity, they go looking for needs and opportunities. I mean, it's like they're sitting on go. Like, like as soon as the next good God thing comes out, they're, they're ready, right? They are ready to go. I have met wealthy people with the gift of giving. I have met people of modest means with the gift of giving. I have met wealthy people with not the gift of giving. And I've met modest people of means, not the gift of giving. The spiritual gift of giving doesn't have anything to do with what I have. It has everything to do with what I'm willing to let go of. And there is a spiritual gift for this. And Paul gives us instructions on how to live that out. The word can be translated generously, or it can be translated with simplicity, or it can be translated with sincerity. And when you put all those together, what I hear is it's, 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 it's free from worry, pretense, and we're looking for something to return. I mean, I've, I think that Gene and I are very generous people. We've been involved in a lot of projects that, that required our generosity. But I can tell you on, on many occasions where as soon as we did this generous gift, I was like, man, <laughs> there's, a, there's a little pain start, starting to creep up, right? Because, because in the moment, right, you, 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 yes, you, you feel the God kind of prompting you to do something. You're being generous and you do it. And the next day, 
that pain starts to... Now, the people with the, the, the spiritual gift of giving, I don't think they experience that pain. It's more a joy. My dad had... Um, this is one of my favorite things about my dad. My dad had wallet money and he had pocket money. If I asked my dad for a five or a 10, he would ask me what for as he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a wad of cash and he would flip through and give me what I asked for. That was his pocket money. Then if I asked though for something that was gonna require more, like 40 on up, well, that was wallet money. Now, his wallet money, when he asked me what for, it was not connected to motion. He didn't reach for his wallet as he asked me what for. The what for was going to have to coordinate with his mind in order for me to get into his wallet. And my dad was from the generation, right, where there was very little. So I was always amazed at what my dad kept in his wallet. My dad, when he'd get home from work and he'd lay on the couch and he'd be resting before, um, before, before dinner, he would take his wallet out of his pocket and he would slide it under the couch. And as soon as he fell asleep, as young as I can remember, I got that wallet. <laughs> and I started flipping through and like $100 bill, $100 bill, $100 bill, $100 bill. I mean, he just kept a wallet. I'll tell you how my dad was. When my father passed away, we were cleaning out his house. We were throwing away. My dad had more pair of long john underwear than any human being would ever need, okay? And he did because we worked outside for all those years in New Jersey. My dad didn't throw away stuff. And we were throwing it away, and I picked up this one pair and threw it away, and I heard a rustling. I went, okay. I reached my hand into the leg of those long johns, and I pulled out a wad of cash. It was $5,100 bills. He had sold a truck, and he didn't put it in the bank. He didn't put it on his mattress. He stuck it in a leg of his long johns. We went through every bag of clothes. <laughs> and much, much to our chagrin, there was no more money in any other, in any other clothes. Now, that was, that was, that was my dad. Um, my mom, I, I said that she had the gift of, of teaching, and maybe that was more her office of teaching. My mom, I think, had the gift of giving. My, my mom would, um, my aunt would tell me that my she came home after an evangelist, a missionary spoke at the house and uh, at the church, and mom had uh, come home and gotten some new clothes out of her closet with still the tags on it. And my aunt asked, what were you doing? And she said, well, I'm going to give these to that, that woman missionary. And my, and my aunt said, well, why are you giving them the new clothes? Why aren't you giving them these older clothes? She said, I'm going to give God my best clothes. All right. So my dad never begrudged my mom's giving. My mom gave to the church very, very generously, and people stuffed it. Someone came up to me at, at her funeral and said how she helped, her out of, helped them out of a bind. And I had no knowledge of this. My dad had no knowledge of this. It's just someone came and told us the story. So my dad, however, recognized the correlation of when they gave from the business, God blessed our business. He understood that. I remember overhearing him one particular time saying, this was a really good month, Marion. It's because you gave, isn't it? She said, yes, Wayne. So let's fast forward. So mom, mom was long gone when we planted Gateway Church. Um, mom died in 02. We launched in 07. Dad knew we quit our job. We quit our job. He knew we were raising funds to start Gateway Church. Um, and he never once asked me in a year, son, how are you guys doing financially? Son, how are you doing in raising money for the church? Nothing. Not one peep. Not one peep in a year. So... We raised the money for the church. We raised $300,000 in 90 days because there was a lot of people that were generous 
And there were some people that prompted that with the gift of generosity, the gift of giving. So we'd spent through, it was the weekend before we were going to launch Gateway, and now the church was broke, right? Because we had raised the money to spend the money, right? So we were, trailers were bought, and portable equipment was bought, and rent was paid, and all this stuff, but now we're broke. And Gene and I are people of margin. We live much better in margin than without margin. Now, most people do. You might not realize that, but you will. If there's margin, you're going to live a lot easier, right? And so we have no margin, and we're kind of flipped out. My aunt and uncle are in town, and uh, they called a family meeting. And so it was, it was uh, Gene and I, and my dad, and my aunt and uncle. And my aunt and uncle, probably operating this gift, and my Gina's parents, I would say, probably operating this gift. And we gather around, and... Um, I don't remember telling them much about what was going on. They had recently sold 16 acres of property um, on an island, right? So they don't, you don't make any land, period, but you definitely don't make any more land on islands. And they pull out a check, and they said they felt prompted by God to give us this check for Gateway. And it was, um, I don't know how often I've shared this publicly, so please just, just receive this from the heart in which I'm giving it. Um, it was a check for $50,000. And almost before I could cry, my dad got up. And he reached into his front pocket. I didn't know he had front pocket money. You know what I'm saying? I knew the other, I had no front pocket money. And he pulls out a check crying and said, I haven't known what to do. This was your mom's department. But when Bill told me what they were doing and he handed me a check for $50,000. Now just, now just look, now fast forward. We, had, we, we were broke. And now the church had $100,000. $30,000 went to emergency fund that six, almost 16 years later, we've never touched our emergency fund. Now, the emergency funds had to grow, right? But never touched it. The other 70 went into the bank account, earned enough money that when this property came available for $750,000 16 years ago or whatever it was when we bought it, we had the down payment. I think all people who operate in the spiritual gift of giving seed the pump for people to be generous. Nothing gets done in the kingdom without generous people. And people who have this gift of giving, they're just the first in line. They're like the first in line and they make big statements. Sometimes they make small statements, but they make a statement. And when they make that statement, there was someone in the congregation that I've never seen before, never seen since when we were raising money for this, for our missionary. And that person put a check in for $20,000. And I think they were surprised when I sent them a note of thank you and said we had raised 62. But I have no doubt in my mind that that gift was a prompt, the spiritual gift of giving. Um, all right, the gift of leadership. Gift of leadership, Paul tells us to do it with diligence. This gift has gotten a lot of attention in the Western body of Christ over the last 30 years or so. One of my favorite older books on leadership is a book called Courageous Leadership by pastor author Bill Hybels. Bill said, the church is the hope of the world and its future rests in the hands of its leaders. Staggering quote. What Bill had recognized in 30 some years of ministry was that ministries and churches sometimes stalled around because there was a lack of leadership. The leadership wasn't good or compromised. 
um, or not matured. The sad part of this quote is some 40 years into his ministry, he had to step down from his church because he didn't wield this gift appropriately. It is a hard thing to live and operate in the gift of leadership. Darren in his book calls it the gift of the guardian. And I think that's an overlooked aspect of godly leadership because the Greek there means to, means to stand between or stand in front of. I have a decades-long love-hate relationship with this gift. This is my gift. And I will say I am a reluctant leader. When I look over my life, I see plenty of instances when I took leadership when no one else did. But when someone else did and they were good leaders, I had no issue falling in behind and following. None. I did not plant Gateway Church because I wanted to lead something. I was convinced, God had convinced me, that there weren't enough life-giving churches. And so I had to step in and lead. I didn't plant Gateway because I was tired of following. Gene and I used to watch Survivor religiously. I don't know if we have any Survivor fans in the house. Um, I, to this day, contend she would have won if she would ever gone. Um, I, I do. She can work with anybody. And she is tough as nails emotionally and physically. She would have one survivor. Myself, I would have been voted off first tribal <laughs> council. I would not have been able to handle the yahoos that were taking charge and control at the beginning, and I would have said something, and I would have gone home. Um, many people want to lead because they want to be in control, and the spiritual gift of leadership has absolutely nothing to do with control. Needing to be in control might be the first sign you do not have this gift or it is in desperate need of maturation. The spiritual gift of leadership is exercised for those you are leading. The gift, as in all others, is not about your personal advancement. I heard Pastor Anley Stanley, author and pastor, say this. He said, a leader's responsibility isn't to make all the decisions, but to ensure the right decisions are being made. That is a fabulous definition of leadership. A leader's responsibility isn't to make all the decisions, but to ensure the right decisions are being made. The Greek for leadership also carries the connotation of helmsman. And this speaks to that, doesn't it? Steering a ship in the proper direction. The rudder is a small part of the ship, but it steers the ship. So the gift of leadership isn't the gift of driving people, but the gift of directing people. All right? God, God's kingdom takes a different tact at leading than this kingdom's culture that we live in. Jesus defines leading as being the first server, the person who stands in the gap for his people. In the same sense, then, a guardian doesn't sound that off base when we talk about leadership. How do you know if you have the, gift of, the spiritual gift of leadership? A couple questions to ask yourself. Do people naturally follow you? I think it was John Maxwell said that if you, um, if you go for a walk and there's no one behind you, you're not a leader. You're just going for a walk. Can you see a path where everyone else sees trees? That's a leader. A leader has the ability to see a way forward when there isn't a way forward, but they have the capacity for other people to trust them enough to follow them in that direction. And I would also say, I would ask, are you protective of your people? 
Now, I know we got some mama bears and daddy bears. I know if someone tries to touch your kids or your spouse, you're going to bow up. But what about the other people around you? What about your friends? What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? What about your teammates? Are you protective of them? If so, that is a good indication, possibly. I, had a surg- I have a surgery friend in India. His name is Dr. Laji. Um, doc- Dr. Laji's sur- surgery gift um, manifest- manifested itself much broader than surgery into a leadership gift. And the hospital they began in a northern, uh, northern Indian valley um, in the Kulu Valley then began, began a Christian school. So in a predominantly kind of Muslim, even Hindu area, here comes this school that was the best English median school in the valley, and, and parents would sign that they knew what their kids were being taught. Well, then that school then gave way to the first church in that valley. And then it started giving way to um, health clinics in other remote places of the valley. All from Dr. Laji, this surgeon. I've been in, in and out of India five different times. On my last time, um, he and I sat in his living room overlooking the Himalayan mountains. And he and I both knew this was probably the last time we would see one another. He was getting older, and I probably wasn't going to make another trip back to northern India. And we sat and talked about so many things. He asked me about the planning of Gateway Church and the congregation, and, and then... But, but before we finished, he asked me this question. He said, what is it about the American church that is so wrapped up in leadership? I read and see so much of these leadership conferences in your country, and I've yet to read one on following. It was very humbling. Sitting in the presence of a man who had done so much in an area that was so hard and so dark. And his definition of being a great leader was first and foremost being a great follower. All leadership begins with our ability to follow. The last gift in Romans 12 then is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. And Paul tells us to do it cheerfully. Um, This gift is not a gift of forgiveness or sparing, that somehow you have a big heart just to be able to forgive. Um, it has to do with ministering to the sick and needy. Okay, this isn't a passive gift. It's not just saying, well, bless your heart, I'll pray for you. This is not the gift of sending thoughts and prayers. This is the gift of um, getting right there in there, massaging a broken heart back to life. Operating in this gift places you in very difficult, lost-for-words types of settings. It really is a gift of being there. It's a gift of running into a burning building where everybody else is running out of the burning building in people's lives. And Paul's instructions with this gift is to do it cheerfully. And he doesn't do that as a chastisement, but in an exhortation of how it's possible to step into someone's life with this gift of mercy and you not be drowned in everything that they're feeling, right? The last, the last thing someone needs who is drowning is someone who can't swim, right? That we drown in their stuff. That's fine. We're friends. We can be there. But this gift of mercy is someone I've been filled up with the joy. Actually, the word translated cheerfully is the, word, the Greek word that we would get hilarious from. 
And I thought it was so fascinating when he says it, do it cheerfully. Literally, you could translate it, do it hilariously. Well, how can you step into someone's pain and hardship with such a light spirit only because you have spent time with God? And God is sending you in with this gift of mercy that he's implanted deep in you, and you draw from that. It's not you're going in and high-fiving someone who just lost a spouse, but you're not coming in there all bent over and heavy because of it. You're bent over and heavy because of it. You've already dealt with that with the Lord. And so when you come in, then you're upright. It doesn't mean you don't cry with them, but it's coming from a different place. And Paul exerts, if you have this gift of mercy, you're really not exercising this gift if you're just carrying their weight too and they see it, mature in your gift and understand you do your business with God and then you step into that moment and you step into that moment strong. That even, even when they sense your empathy, right, when we feel it with them, it's not something that drags us down, but we're there to help pick them up. All right. So we have prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and mercy. Are those all the gifts, Pastor, that we get? Those seven, is that we got to fit into those seven somehow? And I can tell you, I don't have a clue. I mean, I would have loved if Paul would have wrote all this down in one place. Right? We're, we're, we're going over three books talking about the gifts, which tells me that all three churches knew and operated the gifts. They understood them. Somewhere in, in some foundational teaching, they understood that the churches and the people were gifted. Paul's speaking into what they didn't understand or what they were getting wrong. And it's interesting, again, that he deals so much with how they're not working with one another in it. Right? Right now, I have a, 20, I have a 22 or 23-year-old recent college graduate and single, and then Philip Culver, who is a dad of five girls, working together on an app that we're developing called Life 180 on, on how to help you stay in the Word for 180 consecutive days and cover the Bible start to finish. That it's not a verse by verse, it's not, I mean, not a uh, read a verse and then fold it up and then read the newspaper. It's not read your chapter out of Matthew, the Old Testament, or, and then Psalms and Proverbs and somehow get through it in a year and not know what you read because you're reading it so fast and you're jumping around. Now, I don't read the spiritual gift of app development. But what I know is they are talented folks. We're working in collaboration together with an idea God gave me in order for this body and maybe others to turn their life around in 180 days because you spent 20 or 30 minutes in the Word every day. Here's what I know. When I offer what I have to God, He can do more with it than I can. Come on up, team. What does God do, want to do with our spiritual gifts? Well, here's as best as I can figure it out. He wants to use all of us working in our spiritual gifts so that more people find Jesus, that more people are transformed by Jesus, more people are shaped by Jesus, equipped for Jesus, and sent into the harvest field. Discover your gift, operate in your gift, and I'm encouraging you to mature in your gift. Um, when, we, when I graduated from 
When I graduated to a 10-speed bicycle, it was a pretty big transition on my street. There was uh, four other boys on my street, and our street was the magnet street for all the boys anywhere near us. And so there would be any, any given afternoon after school, right? This was when curfew was when the, when the street light goes on, right? And so we're riding our bikes up and down this street all around Oakford Avenue. And, but on all of us had choppers in the day. Some of you might not know what a chopper is. I had a banana seat that looked like a, uh, a yellow jacket. It was black and gold, and I had a sissy bar. I never liked the name, but I still had one. It was a sissy bar because we would pop wheelies, and we would ride wheelies, and if you fall over, that bar would keep you from hitting your, your back. And I had a little small front tire and big slick on the back, and, man, we were all big-time stuff. But then we made it to middle school. Middle school, then it was time for the 10-speed. And uh, Greg and Gary across the street, they get, dad got them 10 speeds, and they were size appropriate, 10 speeds. Well, my dad said, why would I buy you another bike that you're going to grow out of? So dad buys me an adult 10 speed. And I didn't do this until I was a freshman in high school. So we had to put blocks on my, on my blocks, literally with bands around them on the pedals. Yes, that's exactly, Jen, that's exactly what my friends thought. Every time I had trouble getting on my bike, falling off my bike, and pedaling with these blocks. And so for a year, it was embarrassing. Um, but a year later, I grew into my bike. And Greg and Gary's bike looked silly. Now, it was born out of my dad saying, I ain't buying you two bikes. But what a lesson I learned looking back that came to me. I don't even know if I've ever told that story to the congregation until I'm writing this message about maturing into our gifts. Does, does, do gift assessments, assessments to the work? Is Darren's gift assessment right? I don't know. Is this the best sermon anybody's ever going to preach on the gifts? I doubt it. But what I know is as, as, as we look and pour ourselves into Christ, the more we desire to know what we're wired for and, and, and designed to, that's a win. So if there's an assessment to help me figure it out, I'll do it. But there was no assessments in the first century, right? So how did people figure out what their gifting was and how did they operate? Well, they did what they felt in their heart to do. And then the body either affirms the gift or strengthens the gift or says, you know, Charlie, you probably shouldn't sing. Have you tried teaching? Right? And then that's not an embarrassment thing, right? It's, it's a, me finding my place in the body that I'm working together with the body to bring about God's kingdom. That's what it's about. Guys, can I help you understand that the stakes here are very high? And I don't mean about getting it right in terms of our gift. I mean the fact that Bill Hybels was right. The hope of the world is the local church. And its future rests in the hands of its leaders. Are we going to be stand-up people full of integrity and, and whatever we walk in? Most people's connection with Christ is going to be through his body before it's ever through him. How is it possible for us to take on some big tasks well, we do it together as a body. I'm always amazed in here when I see people step up and they start using the gifts God's given them and someone else steps up and they start using the gift God's given them. And then you get a bunch of people that just say, I don't know what my gift is, but I know there's dirt on the floor. I'm going to get it up. I know there are people that are walking in. They're looking around 
You know, it's always easy to spot a guest. They don't know where they're going. And there's really no place to go in this building, right? I mean, you walk in and kids are there and we're here. But guests always kind of walks in a little curious of what, well, how about more people looking for people that are looking up? Because we don't even do signs very well here. Operating our gifts. So during our response time, again, Darren's book, take it or leave it. I don't know. I like Darren, so I liked his book. I trust Darren, so I trust his heart. Did he, whether he got all the Greek right or not, I don't know. My heart for you is huge. Us accomplishing what God's put in, 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 in uh, for our church to be the most spiritually influential people in the planet. That's, that's my kind of, my quick and dirty vision for y'all that each of you would be the most spiritually influential person in your family, in your business place, in your neighborhood, that you just, people just cannot keep from finding Christ because of you. That's why I stand here week in, week out. And so during our time of prayer, as always, if you need to borrow some faith today, come to the altar. Someone will pray with you. But we're gonna sing a song and one of the songs that we sang during worship. And I just ask you to, to sing it with your hands raised and, and offering yourself to the Lord. Holy Spirit, do with me what you want to do with me here. I, I, I want to play my role in the body, whatever it is, wherever it is, whatever it looks like. You know, I, it's weird being an employer. I mean, I had never been an employer until Gateway. I was always the worker bee. And but I built teams everywhere I went around whatever I was doing. And I always loved working with someone I didn't have to tell them what to do. I was great with working with folks that I had to tell them not to do some things. <laughs> Kelly, you need to, let's, let's, let's channel you over here. But if I had to tell you what to do, it was difficult for me to work with you because I liked working with folks that just saw what needed to be done and got after it. Wouldn't it be great to be, have a church full of people? that just saw stuff that needed to get done, people who needed to be embraced. They took what God had given them to do, not anything different than that, and they stepped into that individual's life, they stepped into that project, they stepped into whatever. Man, I just can't even tell you what impact for the king that would make. So I'm just asking you as your pastor to pray into that today. If you haven't found a place, or if you've gotten discouraged in your gift, but you take the next four or five minutes and ask the Lord to speak to you. And I'm asking, Father, I'm asking you to pour your spirit out on us. Lord, we're not smart enough to do any of your work. We're not talented enough to do any of your work. We're not determined enough to do any of your work. But we can be available to do your work. We sure can be available. And we're available. When we're available, you do mighty things to us. Lord, I pray that you would. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in the room that may be struggling and fighting through something today. Lord, rally your people around them to build courage in them today. Lord, whether they come to the altar or not, Lord, let this be a place where they can borrow some faith today in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.